daydreaming about dragons. So let's have a little bit of an intro this week. We're going to have an intro. We're not just going to jump right into the AP. I wanted to thank my supporters. Uh, I got more monetary support this month, and I really appreciate it. It is pushed up to the point now where I feel like I can afford to use that money to support some Patreons in the community. And I might do a, like a, I'm, I'm working on that now. And once I have that done and material starts to come through from those Patreons, I might do like a midweek show just talking about the Patreons and, and what I'm using that money for. My, my hope is to throw it right back into the community and, and use it wisely. Uh, so that's what I'm doing. And I want to thank my supporters. I don't want to name them. So if you are a supporter and you don't mind me naming you, tell me and I'll, I'm happy to name you. But I feel weird naming people's economic support. I just feel like I'm outing you in some way. I, maybe I'm totally wrong. Very, very likely I'm very wrong. But I feel weird about it. If you are a supporter, you know who you are. Thank you so much. It means a lot to me that you're telling me that my time means something to you and that this is worth your money. I appreciate that. So thank you so much. All right. Let's get to it. All right. So my actual play this week is going to actually be about play. Uh, I've got two games, maybe three. Uh, I'll have two. Definitely two games uh, this weekend. And I want to do like a pre-game and a post-game. So this is going to be the pre-game. And then I'll come to you and tell you how it went. So I'm playing two games. Uh, one of them is an ash can by my friends, Strash Asimovic and John the Beef Little. Uh, it is Project Perseus, a game about spies and the supernatural. I, I think of it as if you took the TV show Supernatural and mixed it with uh, a James Bond movie. That's kind of what this is. Uh, it's really fun. I'm really looking forward to playing it. Uh, I've got two people in town who are here, who are usually a part of my band of Blades group. One of the party members couldn't make it. And so I wanted to play something with these folks. So Project Perseus is kind of perfect for that. Interesting thing about the game is that you've got an operator who's kind of like the spy handler. And then you've got the agent. So the operator is like in their earpiece telling them, hey, I've got, I might have hidden something under this desk. Like, check. And, uh, and you check. So it's really fun. Uh, it's, it's, if you like playing supportive roles, it's really cool. If you like setting other people up to be awesome, it's pretty awesome. And then they also do the, the brief and the debrief. So that's really cool. And as the, as, as the GM, it takes weird weight off of me. Uh, in ways that are amazing. So I got to roll up a, a, ma a really cool mission brief. And so what I do with these games, is with, with Project Perseus, is I roll on a bunch of cool tables that are in Project Perseus, and then I write up what's happening, and then I write down notes, and then I write up a one-page... I, I keep mine to one page. Uh, I've seen other people do it differently. Uh, I like to keep it to one page, 8.5 by 11 page, you know, I whip out the type, the old typewriter font, and I put on some some 
uh, JPEGs of top secret stamps, and I put the stamps all over the all over the document and print it out so it looks cool. And I give that to my to my operator, and the operator gives the mission details to the uh, to the player, and then we can keep the the sheet on the table so that players can write notes down, can refer to it, and so on. Okay, so I really like the mission brief, and I'm curious to see what's going to happen. Um, the mission brief is this. Uh, it is called Operation Aggressive Eclipse, and the Thule Society, which is like a, uh, a, a you know Nazi war criminals who do magic. And they have taken an interest in a Marseille-based neo-Nazi cult called the White Sun Brotherhood. Sun, S-U-N, like a, uh, a, the sun in the sky. So the Thule Society is hosting a sorceress ritual that the White Sun cult, the neo White Sun neo-Nazi cult, is, uh, is enacting. And they want the agents to interrupt the ritual and bring in any Thule Society members that they can and bring in or kill, you know, bring in or kill any of them. They're all Nazis. You know, do what you have to do. Uh, so what I try to do with these missions is I try to have... Uh, so I roll on the tables. The tables are great and they're very inspirational. And then once I roll a couple times on the tables, then I just pick. So I roll like two things on the tables, and then I go through the rest of the table and I pick elements off that make sense to me. Um, what I usually am looking for in a spy mission are some bad guys who want to do some bad things, some cool stuff, maybe a magic item, maybe a, a piece of tech, maybe something mysterious, right? And then some items, some stuff out in the world. It can be a, a magical gun or Napoleon's death mask or... Uh, Louis the Sun King's head, or whatever it is, whatever it's going to be. I think it's going to be a couple of those things. And I want also I want a couple of people who are in the mix and are kind of iffy, right? So I want some turnable people. So I've got the Fool Society, who aren't really turnable because they're Nazis, but you might be able to flip them and get them to flip on their other people. Maybe you could do that. Maybe. Do you really want to? I don't know. So I've got some witches in the mix, who are definitely like evil, not good witches, right? Like kind of, uh, you know, if witches were in James Bond, what would they look like? That, those kind of witches. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. These are pretty bad. And depending on what the players choose, I'll, I'll, I'll orient my, the, the witches more. And then I like to have one kind of hey, if the mission goes really wrong, this is another power in the area. You might be able to cut a deal with it, right? I always like to put one of those out in these missions. The last time I did it, no one used it, and that's fine. But I like to throw it out there um, to let them know that, hey, if things really go haywire and the whole world explodes, this is something you can do. Uh, so the Thule Society has, has, uh, has alienated the vampire factions. So I said like, hey, there's a, there's a pretty powerful vampire in the area in Paris uh, that if you, if you get into real trouble, you can go there and maybe cut a deal with him and he might be able to bring you back home. Okay. And that's it. Uh, I've got a couple names, a couple things. 
couple of ideas. Uh, I, I'm also going to write, the other cool thing about Project Perseus is all the characters are pre-made. So I will, I will go back through the pre-made characters and I'll come up with links from the character to the adventure. So like former love interests who are now involved in the adventure, former uh, allies, former rivals, someone who, who killed someone you loved, uh, stuff to link them in and, and to, to link the agent in really hard. So I'm going to go through all the characters because I don't know which character they're going to, uh, the, the, the player is going to pick. And I will make up a bunch of links and then, and then we'll play. We'll see what happens. Will the White Sun cult ritual be in the Palace of Versailles? Oof, I probably butchered that word. Will, that, will it be interrupted? I don't know. Perseus is on it. We'll see what happens. The other game I'm playing is Blades in the Dark, and I don't want to say too much about that because I know Strash listens to this show. Hi, Strash. Uh, but, and, and this case is ongoing. But the cool thing about this case is, and I say this with a heavy heart, it's the last case. So we're ending the campaign on this one. And it's a weird one. It's always a weird one. I say that with every case. Oh, this is a weird case. It's always a weird case, uh, and I don't know how they're... Because oh, it's always weird because I don't know how exactly they're going to react to it. I never know exactly what angle they're going to take or who they're going to decide is the real problem, who they have to bring in, or who's the weak point or what. I never, under, I never know exactly what they're going to do, which is awesome. And, yeah, this is the final one. We're ending it here. And I'm, I'm thinking about endings, you know? But you know what I'm really thinking about when it comes to endings is uh, the last episode of True Detective, because the, the, the locations in that show were so visceral and beautiful and amazing and dark and incredible, and the production of those scenes were so good, that at the end of the, the, the first season... There's this one beautiful set of shots where the director just goes through and you revisit each of the scenes, each of the locations. You just look at it for a second. Like you're, and it really felt like going back and seeing old friends. You know? And I kind of thinking, is there a way for me to do that in-game? I don't know. I don't know. But that's what I'm thinking about. Can I do that? Can I go back and just look in-game at the table with my, the players, with my friends, and just look at these scenes and, and what they meant to us? And maybe, like, a memory there. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if we could. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, and I, I think it'll be a cool way to like show how they've affected the world. We can see the, those those places now as they are right now. And I don't know. I think that'd be kind of neat. So I, I, I'm thinking about like listing out a bunch of places and just going back to them. And and uh, yeah. So that's the games. Those are the games. I'm curious to see how they go. Uh, before we get to Inspiration Goat. 
I'm going to record this on Sunday after the games. We're playing on Saturday and Saturday night. So let's fast forward, and I'll talk to you all on Sunday. And it is now Sunday morning. I gamed all Saturday evening and then Saturday night until the middle of the night. It was lovely. Uh, Amazing games, fun games, very different games. So let's talk about them. Uh, The first one was called Project Perseus. It's an ash can put out by Strash and John, the team that put out Band of Blades and Scum and Villainy. And it's a really fun game. Uh, In our game last night, uh, my friend Jim played uh, an operator, which is kind of like a, a spy handler or the like the, the person in the earpiece, right? In the spy movies who's talking to the spy and letting them know, you know, hey, we've got a map of the area or we've got another agent in place who can help you or I've stashed some stuff under this table, etc., etc. And then Jonaki played an agent, uh, maybe my favorite agent. All the characters in, uh, in Project Perseus are pre-made and... and that might be my favorite character. It is she played Mia Schwartz, aka the Gun Witch, and that's the Gun Witch might be my two favorite words put together to describe a character ever. And she lived up to that. Uh, Jonaki's Mia lived up to that title. It was really, really, really cool. Uh, in the game, uh, some some Nazis were trying to fu- trying to uh, were funding a ritual by a neo-Nazi, an up-and-coming neo-Nazi sorcerer uh, who was trying to become the new arcane king of France, which you can imagine would not be such a great idea. And there, were, there was a, a gunfight with a Nazi werewolf, and it was awesome. Uh, you know, it was really, really, really cool. Uh, lots of fun. One of the ways I geared up to get excited to play it is I went and watched as many James Bond trailers as I could because trailers are there to, like, get you pumped, and they're kind of perfect. So, like, all day yesterday, I would, like, put on James Bond trailers and, and, and get excited. Even if you don't like the movie, the trailer is a lot of fun, right? So, bunches of James Bond trailers and, and getting excited. Uh, Project Perseus is a spy game where... There's a, both, there are two different types of play, uh, character, player characters. There's operators and there's agents. And super cool game. All in all, it took about two hours. The, the, all the characters are pre-made. So it probably took us longer to order our food than it did to make the characters. Because you just kind of put some dots in some different stats and pick a move, primary move. And then you're off to the races. Uh, really cool. And... and we played that because our normal Band of Blades game we couldn't play because we were down a player. And may I recommend having a, a, a plan B game in your pocket, something you can just take out and run as a one-shot and go, you know? And, and this was a one-shot, but I feel like I could totally play that again. You know, I could totally, not, maybe not that mission, but maybe that mission. But I feel like I could definitely play that game again and definitely play it with... with with Jonicky and Jim, or Jim and somebody, or Jonicky and somebody else. All really, really, really good stuff. So thumbs up. Thumbs up on that. Super fun, tight game, two hours, action-packed, lots of gunfights, lots of violence, espionage, running and fleeing and 
taking a stand, good stuff, uh, all in the, in the Palace of Versailles. Uh, really, really, really fun. Uh, I really liked it. So it was a good game. Uh, and, and, and I feel like the only thing that made me sad was the idea that it's a one-shot. Because I was like, oh, I want to play these characters again. I want to see what happens. But it's good. I think we, we can do that if we want to. You know, There's nothing stopping us. So tons of fun. Good stuff. Everybody had a really good time on that. And it was super action-packed. Which is good because the next game was uh, Blades in the Dark, our Blue Coats game, which is investigative. And they are investigating a case in which the, they found a body was found in the canal of Duskval. And it was found with comprehensive and expensive plans to assassinate the emperor, the undying emperor. And so that's the case they're on. And... This was a lot of legwork and talking to people and just unveiling details a little bit at a time. And it's a really hard line in investigative games to figure out what is going to be unveiled. And, and no matter how much, and I do prep for investigative games, right? Like I know what happens, but there's still, you know, as they say in Apocalypse World, there's white and, and Dungeon World, there's white areas on the map that I haven't mapped out yet, because you can't come up with everything. And the players are going to find some angle that you just never thought of. So that is interesting. It was interesting to describe all that. And to, you know, they, they, made a, a, they made good headway, but they didn't come into conflict with, with the major players yet. So we haven't had a face-to-face -face bit of violence. And that was interesting. Um, Cool game, but kind of a, a slow burn game. So it was cool to go from, you know, uh, a James Bond supernatural movie with witches and vampires and, and, and Nazi sorcerers and mad science to a slow burn investigative crime game where we're really seeing both how the characters have stayed the same and how they've changed. And that's really cool. And I, I'm going to give a shout out to a moment that, that Lauren rocked yesterday where an NPC who was kind of a rich, kind of a rich jerk, right? A, a, a lady of one of the founding families said something to her character and it, it affected her character. And I thought that was really interesting because a lot of players would have been like, nah, I brush it off. I brush that comment off. And Lauren let it get under her skin, right? She, she made the choice to say that, that rocks me on my heels a little bit, what she just said. I've got to really think about that. I've got to let that affect me. That might change my character a little. And that's a really valiant choice, you know, to let your character be moved by something. Um, I feel like I've talked about this before, but it always rocks my world when, when players do that. And they, they allow something someone says to get in under the character's skin and, and, and move them and maybe change them and not be a tough guy all the time. Very cool. So it was a fun night of gaming. Fun, fun, fun you know, day of gaming. I really love that. I love when I get to do it. Uh, feels like the old days. And it was great to see everybody. So... Face to some face-to-face -face gaming, some online gaming. I love both. Good stuff. I hope your gaming is going all right. Let me know what's happening at your table. 
and we'll get to more how to do that in the outro after we do some inspiration goat. So let's see what uh, the IG has to say. Good one, inspiration goat. It makes sense because it's been uh, it's been on my computer a bit this week. I've got a new video game uh, got brought to me from Inspiration Go called Door in the Woods. It is by uh, a game company called TW Games, all spelled out. And it is a roguelike, which is a game inspired by uh, Rogue. Uh, they're turn-based very often, uh, traditionally. And they, they've got their roots in old school D&D uh, and, and are really interesting. I think playing a roguelike is a really interesting and seeing the way people adapt roguelikes is a really interesting game design challenge and, and makes me think about gaming in a, a, a different way. Um, Door in the Woods is a Lovecraftian uh, a Lovecraftian roguelike. And every time you pick up a weapon, when you ha- look at your options, one of the options is suicide. It's... That's upsetting. I don't even know if I like that. I I just found it gruesomely upsetting. Um, there's, the other thing about the game is there's no way to... There's no way to save and quit... So you can either just force quit or you can commit, have your character commit suicide. It's uh, – I'm asking myself hard questions about that game design choice and if I even like it. But the fact that a roguelike with ASCII graphics – ASCII means that the only graphics there are, are generated – by the letters on the keyboard. But it still manages to be immensely creepy. I, I actually had an, a holy shit moment the other day with this game. Uh, and I think that's really interesting. And there's something, another interesting thing that happens while playing these games is Janaki will watch me kind of over my shoulder, shake her head and say, I don't, and I don't understand why you like this which is interesting to me. And I think my game design challenge for myself is I need to design a game that shows her, hey, this is what I love about this. Um, and I think it's a good question, right? What do I love about this? Um, I love things that are... I love the procedurally generated nature of this stuff. I love how things are randomly scattered. I love how the grind of hunger and thirst... And monsters and cold and warmth and fire and needing stuff and putting stuff together in cool ways creates something. It doesn't always resemble a story. It creates a cool experience that, that I find fascinating and I think is, is also present at the gaming table in a very different way. Uh, and it's just fascinating. I, I, I love the way, especially during the woods, keeps things really basic, right? There's no key to start running. 
There's no key to kneel, right? You can run into the woods and you'll kind of be hidden. Um, and some things will lose track of you. But they kept it really simple. And the screen is really simple. And, and that reminds me of a simple character sheet and, and what that invokes, evokes, and what kind of play that brings out. And the way it gets you thinking. And the way it gets you putting things together. Uh, the way roguelikes throw you in the deep end. And you die and you die and your character dies and dies and dies and dies. Uh, I think that's really interesting. Um, and I think this game is doing something with those deaths. I think they mean something. Which is scary. The game is scary. Uh, and... That's fascinating to me, right? The fact that you, we could play a role-playing game where when your character dies, uh, maybe it unlocks something, right? Maybe if you die a certain way, it unlocks another type of character that you can play in, in the campaign. I don't know. But the, these games bring something out in me and, and inspire me in a way that, that other games do not. Uh, and I'm, I am fascinated by them. So... Yeah, roguelikes, Door in the Woods. It's a really good one, uh, really sparse. Again, it's a bunch of letters and symbols running around on the screen. And yet, it has almost like a three-dimensional element to it. There's something very artistic about the way it's presented, about the way the lights change, the way monsters show up. Um, it's terrifying. I threw a Molotov cocktail at a at a vampire. It was amazing. A cat did the scariest thing I've ever seen a cat do anywhere. Now, was it a cat? No, it was a sea. And when I, when I, when I moused over that sea, I saw the word cat appear. But it was still terrifying. I don't want to give it away because maybe you'll play this game and I want you to have that terrifying moment. With the damned cat. Not like you, Pepper Cat. You're a very good cat. And it freaked me out because Lovecraftian cats are supposed to be good. And they're apparently not good in this world. Nothing is good in this world. So that's what I'm playing. Door in the Woods. It gets me thinking about gaming. It gets me thinking about how sparse can we make the game? What can we cut away? And, and what does that result in? And... Super interesting. Super interesting. And, and, and it gets me further deliberating on how we need to think about death in games and a character death. Because I think there's a lot more interesting stuff we could be doing with it. So that's the inspiration goat. Let's get to the outro. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. If you would like to support this show, there is a support this show button. Uh, you can donate some money. And I appreciate it. Uh, I've, I have some money saved up that has been donated over time. Thank you, my supporters. I appreciate it more than I can say. I'm going to start supporting some role-playing game-related Patreons for a little bit a month so I can support them for a while. And I'm going to try to talk about how that's changing my play and what I'm learning. So I will I'll hit you up with that as soon as I can and, let, and give you links, let you know who I'm supporting and what I'm supporting. 
Uh, other way to support this show is to purchase my book, The Dictionary of Moo, which is a swords and sorcery setting for the sorcerer role-playing game by Ron Edwards. And if that sounds like your jam, if a fantasy version of Biblical Mars sounds like your jam, check it out. There's a link to that in the show notes. And the other way to support the show is just to tweet at me uh, or send an MP3. You can do it through the Anchor app. You can do it through email at judd.karlman at gmail.com. And send me an email. Let me know if anything I've said sparks something in you, reminds you of something that you're doing, reminds you of something how something is the same at your table or how it is very different at your table and your experiences. I'd love to hear it. I'd love to read it. I'd love to get it on a Wednesday reply show. And that's it. I hope your holiday season is going well. If you love the holidays, I hope you're getting plenty of hot chocolate or pumpkin spice and whatever it is you want. If you, the, the holidays are a time that's difficult for you, I hope you're getting through it. I hope you're taking care of yourself and, are, uh, and, and, and going easy and, and getting your rest and getting out there and getting some vitamin D and wherever else, whatever it is that you need to get through this. Get through it. I'll be fighting out here with you because this is a difficult time for me too. And if nothing else, I'll see you next Sunday, okay? I'll see you then. Hey, folks. This is a Daydreaming About Dragons postscript. I'm putting it out a few days after the episode drops. Uh, So I've been playing Door in the Woods for a few days now, and it, it makes some bold game design decisions that I'm not sure I like, and I just wanted to talk about them before anyone ran out and bought it or played it. So Suicide looms really large in this game. Whenever you pick up a weapon, it's one of the options on the, on the menu of buttons. So that's rough. Strategically, sometimes it, it makes sense to commit suicide before you lose your mind. It's just a strategic decision that makes sense. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. And it was clearly done purposefully. It was clearly done knowing what they were doing. And as someone who really deals with with depression a lot and has had uh, suicide in his family, I just felt like I needed to say something before, you know, just as an addendum to the episode because it's intense. And if that's not your thing or if that's something that you've struggled with, especially this time of the year, it's the holiday season when I'm putting this out, I just don't want you to be playing something that's going to make your struggles worse. So take what you want from the Inspiration Goat segment the inspiration goat did not mean to to do that. Uh, that's all me. So I apologize, and I just wanted to be very clear about the the, the themes of of suicide as they pertain to that that game. It's intense, and I'm not sure how I feel about it. And I wanted that very very clear. So that's my addendum. That's my postscript. I hope your season is going well. And uh, I'll see you. I'll see you Sunday.